The evil of corruption reaches into every corner of the world. Corruption lies at the heart of the most urgent problems we face. Welcome to Confidential Brief, where Chad Thomas takes you into the stories behind the issues facing our society. It's just past the midday mark on this, the 4th of November 2019. The year is coming to an end faster than one could ever imagine. Tomorrow night at Gallagher State at 6.30 p.m. is the annual Bravery Awards for the South African security industry, supported by CIRA, sponsored by Sancia, which is the South African National Security Employees Association, uh, Teposa, as well as SASA, the South African Security Association. 300 people will receive awards for bravery. 300 may seem a lot, but that makes up 0.05% of people employed in the security industry in South Africa. It is a massive industry, employing close to 590,000 active security officers that excludes all administration-related staff. And there are approximately 10,000 companies active in South Africa providing a security service. Security affects everybody in South Africa. We see security everywhere around us. We secure our homes. We secure our businesses. And we are seeing more and more um, security officers taking up the traditional role of policing. Joining me just down in the studio is Dave Albert and Mike Sears. And we've been chatting about the future of integrated security in South Africa and what we can expect in the future. But let's look at this past weekend, the weekend that was. Um, I'm wondering how many of my listeners this morning are, are still in a jubilant mood, which still perhaps have a headache um, from perhaps a little bit too many in terms of the celebration that took place. Yes, the box won, and what a win it was. It was a game that nobody anticipated. The box went in as the underdogs. The uh, British Roses, or the English Roses, rather, were by far the favourites to take the, the Webb Ellis Trophy. And my word, what a match it was. The South Africans led from the get-go. And it was almost going to be a repeat of the Wales game when one saw how quickly the English would catch up. But then suddenly... A spark came to the box and nothing could stop them. An absolutely incredible game. And we hope that the magic of the 1995 um, lifting of the Webb Ellis Trophy at Ellis Park will once again establish itself in South Africa because this is something we badly needed. We needed something to bring ourselves together as one. It's been a very negative time. It's been a very racist time. It's been a very charged environment. And we've seen so much happen in our young 25-year democracy. We just need moments like this to remind us of those magic words of Bishop Desmond Tutu, that we are, in fact, a rainbow nation. I'd like to remind you that the views expressed on the show are not necessarily those of Chai FM. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on Chai FM. Security has become a very necessary part of our lives. It's something that, believe it or not, replaced mining as the single biggest employer in the private sector in the mid to late 1990s. It's become so prevalent that it has replaced, in, in certain areas and sectors, visible policing. Your first... Your first response, well, I suppose some people would rather be their security officers, but it turns out that it normally is the security officers. And this is quite interesting. It's because there are more security officers than police, army, and correctional services combined. To help us break down the security industry in South Africa, I'm joined by Dave Albert and Mike Sears, two experts in the industry. Why do I call them experts? Well, from a tactical perspective, there's no one better than the two of them. They come with a history within the South African security industry, par excellence. Mike, 
um, Sears had a company within this very community that supported one of this community's initiatives. And that company he grew significantly, not just a reaction basis, but also in a, a guarding basis. And Dave Albert actually initiated what we now refer to as tactical security. He launched the very first pilot project in Inanda, Athol, and Ilovo close on 15 years ago, a, a, a model that a lot of companies, including local initiatives, based their particular models on. Dave Albert, welcome to studio. Thank you very much, Jack. And Mike Sears, welcome to studio. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Mike, let's start with you. Um, you took a company, you grew a company, and that company became very involved in not just tactical type security, but also a state security guarding, etc. Why do you think there's such a need in South Africa to still have that labor intensive on the ground security officer? People feel safe because of other people. And you cannot divorce the human element from security. You have to try rather to focus on high-quality personnel that augment a technical solution. But very much your levels of comfort from a psychological perspective start with the person that you see as you enter or exit your premises on a daily basis. And for whatever we may feel about the efficacy of those people, whether they're effective or not, they really do create the first impression of, of well-being or, or a sense of safety. So I always find that you have to consider people within your organization and make sure you find the right people to do the right job, uh, as well as augment them with some kind of technology. But people will always be an aspect of security. Uh, I wouldn't... I, I wouldn't believe that we'd have a security industry in our country that would be, uh, it will be certainly be less labor intensive, but it's never going to be without people. Dave, you were the director of a very well-known armed response company that operated primarily in the Sanson area. Its head office was in the Benmore area. And then you decided to do something different. You decided you didn't want to perform the normal task of armed response, you decided you wanted to safeguard communities and you started a model called Who Watches the Watchers? It was Latin and Singulum was part of the name and the company that you initiated with its pilot project in Ethel, Inanda and Ilovo became the virtual go-to when it came to community policing. What made you initiate such a project because surely your armed response model was an extremely financially viable model it was and it still is um, but I think the modern trend is to really move away from purely a reactive force uh, a reactive um, reaction and move towards a technology driven proactive security uh, drive and that's what we did in Ethel Ilova and Ananda we proactively patrolled the areas together with our technology in those days, which wasn't license plate recognition. But certainly our databases were significant, and we worked very closely with the police to proactively stop and ask people, are they lost, where they're going, and send out the message to your criminals um, that we are watching you, literally watching you every single minute of the day before you actually uh, do any crime in the area. What was the reaction like from the residents' associations when you first pitched this to them? Because it must be difficult um, to take into consideration when you're launching something as new and unique as it was then. We're now used to it. But then people had the police patrolling their suburbs. They had reservists patrolling their suburbs. And more importantly, they had panic buttons that they could rely on to, to call the, the local armed response. 
How did you describe this to them? How did you show them that this was unique and what was so unique about it? I think in the early days, Chad, the proactive action of what we were doing in the, in the suburbs was unique. We would address the potential crime, whether it was vehicle or pedestrian, before it happened. And that got the message out very quickly to your crime syndicates operating in the area and the nearby suburbs of Alexandra, etc. That stay away from there because they are onto you in a helpful way first to, to say, we are here watching. Can we help you? If we can't, we suggest you follow that route out of the suburb. Um, it took us a while to get the initiative uh, accepted by the, by the suburbs. But what happened was in our initial uh, one-year period, we reduced crime from about 15% to less than 0.5% in that Athalilova and Nanda area. And I think the results are what speak for themselves. It must be difficult to convince people that there's going to be an added security feature within their suburb that is going to cost them money. And I remember quite clearly chatting to you all those years ago, and you said you encouraged them not to cancel initially their normal armed response. So this acted more as a patrol, as a proactive, but you didn't want them to cancel. You wanted them to still have that added reassurance. That was the initial goal. But was on the understanding that, obviously, as you know, the armed response contracts are very lucrative, and that's what sustains a company from a cost point of view. But what, as you say quite correctly, we wanted to show them that our so-called public space patrolling and proactive security would make all the difference in the world. And if we could reduce the crime from the public space outward, it would then make sense to take over their armed response contracts, which we did over the ensuing two or three years. So, Mike, you became very involved in providing a service to what in those days was the GAP initiative and the SWAP initiative when we had all the different initiatives before it was all rolled into one. How did you get into the whole tactical support um, initiative? Well, it was an opportunity. Uh, We were approached by a friend of ours who said they were looking for a solution in the Savoy Waverley area and that a couple of people had already put a, a bid in. And I asked if we would be able to do that, and he said, with pleasure, there's still a bit of time. And at that point, we decided to come up with something that would be completely different, we hope, to what anyone else would have submitted. Um, and our model was literally based on a win-win principle. We looked at security and felt, how can we create something And I think Dave has exactly the same uh, starting point as well. How can we create something that creates a win, A, for the client, B, for the person that's providing the services, which is your employee, and then C, for, for you, the company. And on that basis, we moved forward with the offering that we provided to Savoy Waverly, and we were successful uh, in that what we did is we looked at a solution that would, number one, perform according to what we have promised. In other words, if we say that we are going to be at your house within two minutes and 36 seconds, for example, which was our average response time over 100,000 activations, uh, we were there. And the reason we were there was because there were enough resources allocated to that client's area. At the same time, we ensured that the people that were doing the services, security officers in the vehicles, had the best pay available on the market, had the best equipment available on the market and had the best training available on the market so that they were secure in doing the work. They were getting something out of it. They had a way forward with promotion and development. And finally, we charged the fair premium. That was probably more than what other companies were making, but no one minds paying a little bit extra if what they get in the end is a whole lot more. 
they get so much more value. They get a promise rather than a statement that cannot be backed by actual performance. It makes a lot of sense. We're chatting about the future of integrated security with Dave Albert and Mike Sears. When we come back from the break, we're going to be finding out a little bit more about um, Dave and Mike's background because Dave was a bit of a latecomer to security. He was more an animal um, conservationist, and it would be quite interesting to find out what made him come into this industry. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Today we're chatting about the future of integrated security and with me in studio is Dave Albert and Mike Sears, two specialists in this particular industry. Mike, I know, um, chose this industry. He did his National Deployment Security Management in 1999. So it's an industry that he was passionate about and he wanted to go in. But Dave, you studied, was it zoology? Ecology, zoology and botany, that's correct. And how, tell me about that. Did you work in that industry afterwards? Um, no, um, from my university, I went into a marketing uh, a career for a short while to pick up experience, but then moved d- directly into ecology and ecology-related developments through the private sector and companies such as Rand Merchant Bank, etc. But I realized at that time, which was the late 80s, early 90s, that there was going to be a problem somewhere in the future with poaching um, and security-related issues around these huge, vast tracts of wildlife land that people could get, get into and get out of very quickly. So what happened was in the early 90s, I developed the first uh, anti-poaching unit in a development I did at Valgefonden. It was the first. They were armed with bolt-action rifles against guys with AK-47s, but it was the first properly trained anti-poaching unit in a 52,000-hectare game reserve that basically had a, a large number of rhino and elephant. Um, when the development was finished, I came back to Joburg and use the concept of preventative security to protect animals to look after people. I realized very quickly in the area I was living, which was Parkmore, that crime was out of control. Um, and unless you prevent it before it happens, your trauma and the results of crime, the unmeasurable results of crime are never going to stop. So you've got to stop the crime. So I used the same principles as we used in anti-poaching units to prevent poachers coming in to literally prevent criminals coming into an area. Well, that's interesting because that's how you and I met. Um, I provided you with five guys. You were looking for ex-military guys that could secure one of the um, reserves that you were involved with. And that's how we got to meet. And then uh, we lost touch. And many years later, we met again when you were actively involved in securing the northern suburbs in Johannesburg. And I never actually realized that the model was based on the fact that you were proactively trying to look after endangered species and applying that model to humans, which unfortunately aren't endangered species. But if you look at what was happening in some of the northern suburbs in those days, especially with um, the huge surge in hijackings, home invasions, etc., it makes perfect sense to have intelligence-driven, proactive measures on the ground. What's your story, Mr. Sears? Um, it's an interesting one. Perhaps not as interesting as those, but, um, you know, you said that in, I chose the industry, but in many ways, I, I think the industry chose me. I, I actually started out being an avid martial artist and, um, having two heroes in my early childhood, one being my dad and the other Bruce Lee, except only Bruce had a poster on my wall. I wasn't going to put a picture of my dad there, but, um, and I, I was, I was 
training uh, for many, many years. And um, I became a three-time South African champion. And then I fought competitively overseas in what we sort of now refer to as mixed martial arts, initially in kickboxing um, in the States. And while doing this, I also became a combat firearms instructor and started to learn uh, how to use weapons. But the big thing for me that really always came to the front was training. And I realized that the one purpose of training that people underestimate or don't pay attention to is that training is meant to give you the right response under pressure. And um, and I continued to do training. And, and like you said, I did my national diploma in security management and a degree in psychology. And I took my experience from my martial arts days and from my firearms days and I put it into security. And I thought, let me take the ethos of Train as hard as you can and make sure the people you use have the highest level of training and then use that to provide a security service. Bearing in mind that I only had two skills. I could punch people in the face or I could shoot. And so, you know, security kind of chose me is what I'm saying. It was the, it was the go-to industry. Three world championship belts uh, later, I'll be calling him Sir henceforth. <laughs> uh, Dave, you have remained active in this industry and you've seen the changes in this industry what does it feel for you to see something that you developed um virtually every security company have now rolled out their own version of it do you think it's as good as the original or do you think people are just um using the term tactical um so that they can have this this image I think the current initiatives are as good as the original, if I can say so. Um, but I think as time has come now where we have to move away from these guys driving around in vehicles who are parked in street corners or reacting to, to crime and moving to more of a integrated, which is the subject of today's talk, an integrated security solution where you can move your technology-driven solutions to better enhance what is out there now as a tactical solution. They can only reach a certain number of areas. They can only have such a reasonable amount of effectiveness, and we've got to take it to the next level, which means that you've got to now start relying very heavily on technology, which gives you the right tools for your on reaction guys and just as importantly for your guards to be able to provide the next level of security to stop these waves of crime, which are not going to stop in South Africa, but we can reduce it and we can displace it outwards, unfortunately. When we come back, we're going to be chatting about the future of integrated security, and we're going to go into the second half of the program discussing the new measures that are coming to the fore and what has changed since Dave introduced that that proactive initiative of Tactical all those years ago and where Mike supplied with such great success to our very community all those years ago, what changes there are now. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Very important topic we're discussing today. And fortunately, we have two great experts in studio. And the topic is the future of integrated security. And we're chatting to Dave Albert and Mike Sears. Before we went to break, I was chatting to Dave about a, a concept that he initiated so many years ago, which is now so prolific. So my question to you, Mike, tactical security. What do we mean when we say tactical security? Because it's written on virtually every security van right. we walk past or drive past. It's an incredibly good question uh, and one that I, I keep close to heart because, yes, as you can imagine, 
seeing the word tactical displayed on a, a plethora, a multitude of security companies and uh, security vehicles uh, does beg the question, what is actually tactical? And in order to have a tactical banner on your vehicle or your service or claim your tactical, you need to, you need to be able to understand what are tactics and to be tactical, what does that mean? So essentially, tactics or being tactical is, is doing anything in such a way and using the right kind of equipment in such a way that it'll give you a much more likely chance of success in a violent or conflict situation. That is being tactical. It is taking training, tools, equipment, information, and resources, which are your people, and using those in a way that will ensure they have the upper hand should there be a conflict or dangerous situation. So being tactical means, yes, having more than one resource in a vehicle. That is definitely part of your tactical definition. In other words, it's not really tactical to have a single response officer in a vehicle by themselves with a six-shooter, a thirty-eight Special, okay? Uh, whereas if you have two officers in the vehicle, it now becomes quite a, a force that responds. You have a person with a sidearm, a duty pistol, and you have a person usually with a, a long gun or a hand machine carbine or something to that effect, perhaps a pump action shotgun, depending on the environment and the, and the concern about collateral damage. Okay. You then look at your vehicle and the vehicle itself and does that vehicle give you any tactical advantage? In other words, can it can it clear pavements and, and and drive over areas that are difficult to difficult to actually access if you don't have clearance? Uh, is the vehicle is the vehicle safe in a in a collision? Can it drive reasonably fast in a suburb and yet still break within a reasonable time period? Um, that's part of your solution. Your weapons and equipment, your bulletproof vests, your two-way radio, your, your communication, uh, Chad, is critical in your tactics. And not just your communication on point or at the time, but your information that has been communicated to your staff and your tactical teams prior to any event that will give them an idea of whereabouts are their support resources. What are the quickest routes to and from a specific area? Um, how to approach a specific situation because your approach is critical in your tactics. Then it's your training. What training have they undergone that will create a tactical advantage should they find themselves under duress and in adverse conditions? That is tactical. Tactical means you can provide a superior outcome to the people that you are serving, including your own employees, when the dwang hits the fan, that's what tactical means. Tactical doesn't mean putting putting people in a very impressive-looking vehicle and then branding it tactical. That's just a display of something, but it's it's only a shell uh, that is rudimentary because, yes, maybe they have two people and maybe they have a vehicle, but maybe that's all they have. Tactical... Tactical means you have a whole lot of requirements that go into the absolute... A delivery of that service on the ground when it counts in a way that provides the best possible likelihood of good outcomes for your people and your clients. David, you started Tactical all those years ago. It was new having the black vehicle. 
a high-riding vehicle, having two-man teams, long gun, short gun. In those days, I remember you were very clever. You had a camera built into um, the dashboard to monitor your members, and you had a camera built into the bull bar so that any vehicles that they saw were suspicious, they could at least capture them, um, and that could be downloaded at a later stage. Was it difficult to find the right people in those years to fulfill the role of tactical officers, considering that it's so easy for somebody, um, provided they, they meet the criteria, to get their serial registration and to do their armed response module? In those years, I was very lucky, Chad. Um, that was the late 90s, uh, early 2000s, where we, there was a, a, a glut of, of special forces, uh, operatives, ex-police, fi- um, flying squad members, there were people like Mike and his teams, which were very well trained in weapons, tactical weapons. They'd gone through a number of shooting competitions. They had the mindset. And you'll notice from the initial pictures we had, we had some very um, fierce-looking, confident-looking uh, staff members from both the black military forces and the white police forces that were our staff members in the cars. When they got out of the scene, their presence really with the training and the confidence they had would de- de-escalate it down to a manageable situation where you could literally handcuff people or prevent it from going any further. So in those days, we were fortunate. We had properly tra- a, a group of properly trained people that we could draw from. But as Mike says, going forward, you had to continue training them. Training somebody or having somebody trained is not the end of it. You've got to continuously, every six months, have refresher courses. And at that time, we were the only company doing continual refresher courses, shooting competitions, evaluations that made people feel special, but more importantly, confidence in what they were doing. Mike, what I take away from what Dave has just said is that both literally as well as figuratively, a tactical officer stands head and shoulders over the normal security officers. Entirely so. Entirely so. So just about looking at them, uh, you can see that this person has a certain ambience, a certain demeanor. They are professional. They hold themselves so. They, they stand up with their shoulders back. They wear immaculate uniform, their clothing fits the requirements of the job, their protective equipment, make sure that they're safe when they're doing it. But just by looking at it, you can see that this person has, A, the the pride in what they do, B, the confidence, and C, the equipment needed to provide the service. You know, tactical's also winning the fight without fighting. And a lot of our deployments at that time and, and what Dave achieved was was tactical in itself in that it kind of recreated the original police belief that if you could create an illusion of omnipresence within your communities, wherever you looked, uh, there would be a security professional, a guardian of some sort, a police vehicle, a patrol unit, something. And, and what, we, what we inevitably did is we recreated that illusion of omnipresence that an area looked saturated with security resources that were capable and effective of doing their work. And by deploying those resources in a way that gave the, the maximum visibility was also a very tactical way of preventing crime or preventing violence before even, anything even occurred. Uh, and that was also part of the, was part of the whole process was doing things from the beginning in a way that was clear that you understood tactics and your environment and situational awareness and community needs. And, uh, yeah, that's all I, I'd say about that, but it's, it's absolute. 
We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to discuss for the last 10 minutes of the show the future of integrated security. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. We're now going to chat about today's subject, which is actually the future of integrated security. And we're chatting to two tactical specialists, Dave Albert and Mike Sears. But it would be, it would be remiss of me to refer to them purely as just tactical specialists. They integrated security specialists. And we're now in the midst of the fourth industrial revolution. And we see more and more technological advances that can assist us in the fight against crime. So Dave, with what I've just said in mind, tell me your vision of the future and what it is that you are busy implementing to be able to form part of this fourth industrial revolution. Thank you, Chad. Um, I think the issue, as you've highlighted, is correct. Uh, we are in the fourth industrial uh, revolution, and we've got to make use of all the technology that's out there. If you take an average crime scene nowadays, I'm talking about a violent, what they call contact crime, it is very clear that the personnel on the ground, which is usually your first-tier guard at a complex or at an office park or something like that, is ill-equipped to deal with a guy running in with a gun and telling him to lie down on the floor. We have hundreds of hours of footage of every complex and any complex where this has happened. Uh, and quite honestly, it's not fair to rely on a guard without a weapon and tactical training, as Mike has so succinctly put, to be able to deal with that situation. So now we've got to now move towards a technology-driven preventative solution. Again, like we did in the, early, uh, the late 90s, early 2000s, it's going to take a small amount of time for people to understand how effective this is going to be. So take a... Uh, a usual situation at an office park or a complex where you have a guard at the gate. The guys run in. The guard doesn't have time to push a panic button. And even if he does, the signal going through to the control room is panic. Normally it's a false alarm, or very often it's a false alarm. So the reaction time is fairly slow. The, the control room doesn't know what the, what the event is. And the reaction officer coming in doesn't know what he's going into. If you now supplement this with access control and CCTV cameras, which are monitored live on any event, in other words, all the time, as there's movement, the cameras will pick it up and relay that image or that set of images through to the control room. The control room can now see it's a white Audi that's come through the gate. One guard, one armed uh, uh, assailant is standing inside the guard room, and there's three others in the car. He can now deploy the correct tactical resources to deal with that situation. Now, as I said, it'll take time because the criminals there are moving around with total impunity. And I think once they start seeing where they are now being stopped, we're not going to go into a complex and have a a gunfight. That's not what we do. Tactically, as Mike says, you wait outside. Let them come out, and then you do what is necessary to stop that event going any further. Uh, It's going to be violent, and it's going to be extreme, but it will stop the crime in the area. And your criminal elements will start realizing that they cannot move around with impunity and do what they want. There's going to be somebody watching them. But that's got to be live, and it's got to be according to certain protocols, which have got to be installed at each client and with each client's requirements in, 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 uh, in mind. Now, Mike, when you look at an area and you look at the, the products that you've offered previously, the other people in that community have benefited by the patrols. They may not necessarily be your clients, but you are patrolling that street because you have two out of the ten houses, etc. How much of what Dave has explained to us relies on the reactiveness and how much can we through technology become proactive? In other words, have intelligence-driven crime prevention through facial recognition, through vehicle recognition, etc. So 
a lot of today's technology that is currently being used by security providers and security companies as well as our clients does have a preventative aspect to uh, to it and and it is and it has already benefited a lot of the areas in which security uh, services operate uh, for example, a camera can identify if a vehicle should be in an area or shouldn't based uh, on whether or not that vehicle is circulated, let's say, whether it has been involved in a crime and it's been listed on the SAPS database. Um, and and with examples like facial recognition, you can create databases of people that are uh, either safe or not safe, depending on the environment in which you choose to you choose to create that definition. However, what's even more awesome about technology is that if it's done properly, it should be client-facing in that it should make the client's life a lot easier. It should create well-being for them and give them instant information when necessary. It should tell them if something's happened at their home, for example, a vehicle's passed their driveway that they weren't expecting. Uh, it can tell them whether or not their guard might be sleeping on duty, for example, which is something that uh, anyone who has done a number of 12-hour shifts has probably done, including myself. Um, it will tell them whether or not something's been left open or closed, but at the same time it's giving them this information. It's also informing their security company and the first responders who are really moving towards that. Um, the technology should also create engagement with the employees in your in your staff pool. In your in, your employees should be engaged through whatever technology you use. And the idea would or the ideal in my opinion would be to have one integrated platform that would allow a lot of technologies to speak to one another. It would allow for client and staff facing applications and information would be passed more freely from one person to the next, regardless of whether or not they're a client or they're not your client. Just because they're there, uh, they're part of your responsibility in keeping them safe. Um, and I think the more information we can share with the South African Police Service, because, Chad, as you know, we all, we all serve the SAPS in the sense that even as a private security professional, I'm nothing without the police. When I arrest somebody, I hand that person over to the South African Police Service, and I have no other powers than to detain that person until the police are, have arrived. And so whatever we do as private security uh, companies and owners, uh, it must also always have in, at the back of it something that can plug into the greater South African Police Service and provide benefit to the entire community, regardless of what area you live in or your income bracket or anything. Mike has just stressed the importance of security officers being force multipliers in respect of proactive as well as reactive policing on our streets. Um, Dave and Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. Dave, if our listeners want to get hold of you, I'd like you to please give your email address and then Mike to give his email address so that you could perhaps give them guidance on, on their security requirements, etc. Thank you, Chad. Thank you for your time, and I've appreciated the time together. Uh, my email address is Dave at first security which is one st security dot co dot za and um you, that's all you need is an email address uh, so mine would be mike at first security dot co dot za or mike at three dc solutions dot coza thank you very much so we were chatting to two great disruptors in the industry 
Um, I love the term disrupting because it means going in and doing something different, which these gents have done. They've proven it before, and I look forward to seeing what they come up with specifically in this fourth industrial revolution. Next week, I'm in conversation with Tony Boertis. He's the head of SASA, the South African Security Association, and we'll be talking about the security industry in 2019, what happened. Hopefully, by then, the wage negotiations will be over. It will also be reporting back on what is the um, award ceremony taking place tomorrow with General Becky Chele, the Minister of Police in attendance, and that's the Sira uh, Sancia Sasa Taposa um, Security Awards for Bravery and Crime Awareness. You'll be listening to Confidential Brief. I look forward to chatting to you next week. And if you enjoyed today's show, there will be a podcast on the High FM website. And the details of my guest will be on the Confidential Brief radio show Facebook page. And details will be uploaded as to how you can contact them. Thank you for listening. Let's check to you next week.